Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your great rescue plan uh, that is set out, that unfolds through the Bible. Thank you for Mark's gospel, for his account of the coming of Jesus and of his life and teaching and death and resurrection. We pray that as we hear this um, part of Mark's gospel read for us and preached, uh, give us soft hearts and fertile soil in our hearts to um, hear your word. We pray that it would be received by us, that it would spring up and bear fruit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible reading for today is from Mark 15, beginning at verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to church on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, we've had a lot of bad news, haven't we, recently? We've had a lot of instability. Of course, the coronavirus uh, is causing a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Uh, lots of us have our own things that we're dealing with too. Uh, friends, this morning we're going to hear and reflect on and take into ourselves good news, good news that's always there for us, that can be a rock for us, that will never shake. Um, you can see in the background there, uh, there's a, a cemetery in the background. Uh, that's a, it's a really vivid remind, reminder, isn't it, of the permanence of death, the reality of it. Um, the reality of it that waits for all people. Um, one of my favourite movies is The Princess Bride. Maybe you know the movie. Uh, in it, spoiler alert, 
uh, the main character Wesley gets killed. He's killed on a tor you know, torture chamber, um, the pit of despair. And his friends take him to Max the Miracle Worker, who ends up saying to them, look, your friend, he's only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Uh, and anyway, he, um, he, he ends up giving him his miracle pill and he, Wesley revives and comes back and saves the day, of course. Um, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Uh, they knew that. Uh, you know that. I know that. If, if, if you're all dead, well, there's nothing anyone can do for you. There's nothing anyone can do for you. Uh, the last chapters of Mark's Gospel make it really plain, really clear that there is no way that Jesus was only uh, mostly dead. Um, the, uh, if you were with us on Good Friday, perhaps you were there when we read through those last chapters and we, we heard again the story of Jesus' crucifixion. He was brutally tortured, executed. He was executed on the cross by uh, people who um, were experts at dealing out death. Uh, the Roman army knew what they were doing. And in the passage that we uh, have just heard read for us, maybe you notice it there, the character called Joseph. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, he goes, he's one of Jesus' followers, um, but sort of in secret because he was worried about what people thought. But he goes and asks Pilate, the Roman governor, for Jesus' body so that he could bury him. Uh, Pilate's kind of surprised that Jesus is, is dead already. Uh, so he, he double checks to make sure. He sends his centurion over to make sure and the centurion comes back and says, yep, he's dead. He's completely dead. He's all dead. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And so Joseph takes the body and puts Jesus in a tomb, rolls the stone over the entrance to the tomb. And that is that. That is that. In the normal course of the world, that is that. Jesus is dead. He's buried. It's witnessed by women. The, the women right at the start of the passage we're looking at, they were there witnessing Jesus' crucifixion, his death. They also witness where Jesus is buried, this place. It's interesting that we get told the names of the women, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. Uh, you're not always told the names of people in Mark's Gospel. And this is, uh, it's interesting though, what's the deal, why so many details? Well, Mark's Gospel was written within the lifetime of the events. And so what Mark is saying here is, you can go and check this out for yourself. Go and, here are the people who witnessed all of this. Go and ask them. If they're not around, ask their kids. Uh, go and ask uh, James and Joseph uh, for the full story, the real deal about what's going on here. Um, and so uh, the, the women, they witness where Jesus is laid. They have a really um, dark Saturday waiting, the, the Jewish Sabbath. They don't go and see Jesus then. But uh, they, the, as soon as they're able to, at the end of the Sabbath, the start of Sunday morning, uh, they go to the tomb where they know Jesus is laid. Uh, they bring spices so that they can anoint Jesus' body. They go to pay their respects. Uh, they're going there expecting uh, to find someone who's dead and buried. But on the way, did you notice that on the way, is, you know how grief can really just sort of make your mind addled a little bit? On the way, they realize something that um, is going to um, sort of upend all their plans. They realize uh, that they can't roll the stone away. Uh, there's no way they can actually get into the tomb. Uh, and imagine their sense of hopelessness at that point. Um, they're the one that they'd put all of their hopes in. Jesus was the Messiah, the one uh, in whom all of God's promises would come true. Uh, the one who they were pinning their hopes on. That one 
is now laid in the tomb. The, sto the stones roll away and they can't even get in to see him. But they still go, they still go, uh, perhaps just hoping that they can get um, just to be near Jesus. Then you read in verse 4 of chapter 16 this, uh, this great word, but uh, they're expecting this, but they look up as they approach the tomb, they look up uh, and they see that the stone that had been rolled over, which was very large, I think about the big boulders you see in the bluff or over at Granite Island, these huge boulders that would take you know, many men to roll them away. They look up and they see this stone has already been rolled away. They don't need anyone to open it for them. Uh, they enter the tomb, they go in, and on the right side they see this young man um, dressed in a white robe. They know it's not Jesus, uh, it's someone else. Uh, he's sitting there, and can you imagine, like, you, you, um, yourself in the women's position? They go, they're expecting uh, Jesus uh, dead in the tomb. They go there, the stone fell the way, and they go in, and there's a guy sitting there. Uh, we read in one of the other Gospels, it was shiny, sort of dazzling, perhaps like the light behind me. Uh, this bright, um, <clears throat> this bright light. So they're alarmed. And this guy looks at them, this uh, young man sitting there, he looks at them and says, don't be alarmed. You don't have to be alarmed. Uh, of course they are alarmed. Uh, uh, he says, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And then he says these three words, these three words which would have upended everything that they knew about the world, that upended the whole world, that can flip things on their head, that can change anyone's life, that can change your life. Three words that change the world. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Yes, he was all dead. He has risen. He has risen. Three words that blew everything out of the water. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Notice the, the angel, the young man, this messenger from God, he invites them to come over and investigate the facts. He says, come on, come over and have a look. Uh, look at where they uh, laid him. He invites investigation of this. And this is really important uh, in terms of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the whole claim of the resurrection is that it's a historic events, a reality, a thing that really happens, something that you can investigate, that you can look into. I'd really encourage you to do that. We'll put some links in the notes to really helpful resources that might help you think through this. Um, the historic reality of this man who really did rise from the dead. Uh, but then the uh, angel gives the, the women this instruction. He says, go and tell his disciples and Peter uh, if maybe you remember Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times and uh, Jesus could have said, right, you've had your chance and you blew it, see you later, you're no longer uh, one of my disciples. But he doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, go and tell, uh, the, the messenger says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. He, he wants Peter to know that there's hope, there's a new start for him. There's a new start for anyone with Jesus. And uh, it's the same with Peter. Uh, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Jesus has already told them all of this is going to happen, but it's just so out of their framework that they can't comprehend it. And even when it happens, uh, do you notice what happens to the women? Even when it happens, they're faced with the facts. Uh, they don't go to the tomb looking for a resurrection. It's not as if this is a story they made up because they were hoping for it. No, no, this is something that they were forced to receive and accept because of the evidence, because of the reality. 
Um, you notice the, the effect that it has on the women. They're trembling and they're bewildered. You would be too if you were there. Um, such a huge paradigm shift. Um, people who are all dead don't rise from the dead. Um, and they flee, they go out of the tomb. And we're told that they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the effect that this has on them. The, um, the really shocking impact in their own hearts. It's a really strange, it's a really, I think, masterful and interesting ending to Mark's Gospel. Uh, it leaves open the question, what next? Uh, what happened next? How did they react? Um, did they move past their fear or did they stay afraid? Well, uh, we get the answer through the rest of the New Testament. And the answer is a resounding no. These women and all of the first disciples are utterly, miraculously transformed from people who are trembling, bewildered and afraid to people who are bold, courageous, who give their lives for the sake of this good news about Jesus because they know that he has risen and that has changed everything for them. Utterly transformed their life. So it's, uh, it's a question that's left open to us, what's going to happen to these people? Uh, but it's also an imply, it's a question to us as readers. Uh, what will, how will we respond? How will you respond to this account, this historic event, this reality of Jesus res risen from the dead? How will you respond? Uh, friends, I just want to finish this morning by uh, urging you to accept this. Um, going where the evidence leads, uh, receiving the reality of Jesus' resurrection and letting that change you and give you new life uh, will be the best thing that you ever do. It will give you an unshakable source of good news. It'll give you a rock that can never be moved no matter what else is going on no matter what other instability that you face, no matter what viruses come. Uh, I want to reflect on four different ways in which the resurrection of Jesus is wonderful good news for you today. Firstly, it means that your sin is dealt with if you are trusting in Jesus. Uh, the good news of Good Friday, why Good Friday is so good, is that Je what Jesus went through on that cross was a payment for sin. Uh, Jesus says back in Mark chapter 10 um, that what he was doing on the cross was a ransom for many. A ransom is, is a payment to buy people back. He, he's, he's buying back people. In, he's paying for um, the penalty that our sin deserves so that we can be reconnected to God. And he's paying for our rebellion against God. All of that, all of our pride and selfishness, all of our anger and insecurity, all laid on Jesus, willingly taken by him, so that it doesn't have to be a barrier between us and a relationship with God. The resurrection, friends, is the great, once and for all, permanent declaration that what Jesus did on the cross is effective and right and true and is there for you today. Uh, it's God's great stamp over the cross to say, yes, uh, your sin is dealt with once and for all. And that means you can have always 
complete forgiveness and always a fresh start with God if you come to Jesus in faith. So first, the good news of the resurrection is your sin is dealt with at the cross. It really is. It's the proof, the stamp that it's the case. Secondly, the good news of the resurrection is that Jesus is in control. Um, you might feel pretty out of control at the moment. Lots of us do. Uh, uh, it's sort of um, that maybe the coronavirus has brought this to you, this sense that we think we're in such control, but something happens like this and we realize how out of control we are. Um, there's a passage in the New Testament book of Acts that says, God raised Jesus, and this is the, uh, the first disciples saying this, Peter actually, the one who, um, was so, uh, who failed so miserably, is now through the resurrection, full of boldness. Uh, he says, uh, God raised this Jesus, we're witnesses of it, and then he says, God made this Jesus whom you crucified. He's talking uh, to the people uh, where Jesus was crucified. The, um, God made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah, Lord and God's, God's anointed King. Uh, the, the resurrection means that Jesus is Lord. He's the King. He's in control. And so that, that means, friends, that you don't have to be. You don't have to be in control. You can rest. You can rest on this solid rock that Jesus is risen. That means he's the Lord. He's the king over God's kingdom. He's the Lord. Rest in his control. Um, even when things seem out of control. The third really good news of the resurrection is not only that Jesus is, uh, that your sin is dealt with and Jesus is in control, the third wonderful news is that Jesus will judge. Uh, see, uh, Jesus knows that, uh, that even after his resurrection, all sorts of uh, the world is still groaning under the weight of sin and and evil and sickness and death. And that means that he cares too much of his world to let that go on. Uh, another passage in Acts says this, that God will judge the world by a man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is proof that God will judge the world through Jesus. And that is good news because it means injustice, pain, sickness, suffering, death, and sin will be dealt with. They will not be left undealt with. Injustice will not be swept under the carpet. God cares too much about his world for that. And the resurrection shows that. The great problem, though, for humanity, friends, is how can God get rid of all the wickedness in the world without getting rid of us, who are so entangled up in that and are so much a part of that? Well, the answer is the cross. The answer is the cross. Uh, the resurrection declares that judgment is coming and that that's a good thing. But it also declares that if you come to Jesus as your saviour, you will not have to face him as your judge. Come to him as your saviour. Trust him for his death on the cross for you. And you will not ha your sin will be completely wiped away. Uh, you can have confidence that Jesus will put everything right. And that you will be with him on that day, not facing his judgment, uh, but welcomed in covered by his blood. You will not need to fear him as judge, you will see him as your good king and lord who loves you and who died for you. That's the third thing. Fourth thing, uh, 
what firstly your sin is dealt with secondly Jesus is in control thirdly he's the judge and fourthly the resurrection means that you can have hope you can have hope an unshakable hope in the face of your own death the resurrection means that I being buried in the ground is not the full stop of your life. It's not the full stop. Being buried in the ground is like a seed being planted that will spring to new, unimaginable, never-ending, uh, incorruptible life with God forever. Uh, the resurrection means, uh, you know, um, uh, there's, uh, we sometimes say to ourselves that death is just a part of life. You just got to get used to it. The resurrection says what we what we actually know deep down inside ourselves that no that's not true uh, death is not just another part of life it ends life it's a corruption of life it, and and we're right to feel that and to feel the the pain and suffering that death brings and the resurrection says that's not the end the resurrection says death is conquered as much of a fierce enemy that death is for all of humanity it's not bigger than Jesus. Jesus has beaten it. And you can too if you trust him. Uh, you will be guaranteed a future resurrection. And you can experience that here and now, a new life, through the power of the resurrection in you, by his spirit, as he transforms you more and more into the person you were created to be. Friends, I want to finish by inviting you to repeat, uh, to say with me, um, some words. I'm going to say Christ is risen and I invite you to say he is risen indeed. Use that this Easter morning to remind yourselves of these things. So friends, in the face of your sin, uh, you can know for sure that it is dealt with at the cross. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In the face of feeling completely out of control, you can know that Jesus is Lord because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, in the face of the coming judgment, where God will, get, will renew the world and will judge all that's evil, you can have confidence that you will face that day uh, forgiven and cleansed and with Jesus because, friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Face with your own death which some of us are looking at more closely now, but all of us will look at and face one day or another, faced with your own death and in the confidence that this means that you can have hope, a certain hope, a future that death will not be the end of. Friends, Christ is risen. With me, please. He is risen indeed. Let me pray for us. Our God, we thank you for this glorious, wonderful news that changes everything. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In his name, we pray and we thank you and we give our lives to you. Amen.